you for joining us for the Help for Wounded Spirits broadcast. We exist to help those wounded and suffering through life's trials. Here is our host and best-selling author, Doug Carriger. Great to be back with you. We certainly hope this finds you well and in the arms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He alone is worthy. He alone deserves the time we give him, uh, being able to have you guys tune us in. That's a big deal. We just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for tuning us in. Thank you for being so godly. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for those who donate uh, to this ministry. And uh, you've made a difference. you made a difference in my life. And uh, you've encouraged me. And with me is Kevin. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, sir. So catch us up, brother. You're leaving here. You're going to Florida. And uh, what's going to be happening down there, brother? Well, on the way, I hope to be at Fort Gordon, now Fort Eisenhower, and um, friends with a, a high-ranking chaplain there, and looking forward to that. And then um, there's a, I got a sporting church down in Florida. I want to stop in and see. I haven't been there a few years. And then, uh, yeah, there's a meeting down in uh, Lake City, Florida. Got some friends go there. The pastor's looking forward to meeting me and um, just, you know, kind of get me some connections. So, Plus, you know, there's something about Florida that goes good with coaches in January and February. Oh, yeah. We're not going to have that nine-degree South Carolina weather that we had a week ago with all your uh, electric heaters on, your heat running in your, in your coach. I know that was a crazy time for you. Yeah. Today, folks, as we move along with a with a verse-by-verse study, exegetical study on the life of Christ, we're going to be in John chapter 25 through 10. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read these verses instead of going to some other. We may go back to Matthew here in a little bit as once we get through the angel visit, which is coming up. We're giving you all kinds of spoilers during this. Or I am. Actually, Kevin's usually the spoiler, and I've been spoiling all week. Uh, but it <laughs> yeah, says over in John, I know, it's terrible. <laughs> it says over in John 5, going down through 10, and he's stooping down, looking in. So remember, John's stooping down at the hole in the tomb. He's stooping and he's looking in. He's seeing what he can see. He's, he's pulling out his mag light here, brother. <laughs> and uh, no, he didn't have mag light. <laughs> Saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. So John's like, I'm not going in, man. I'm not doing it. Peter, get up here. You walked on water, dude. Get up here quick. And, uh, and then comes Simon Peter following him and went into the tomb, the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin was about his head, not lying with the linen. It just right under where it was. And then went in also that other disciple, John, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. I mean, everything became belief right there. So if there was any doubt that John had, if there was, you know, I think these disciples, uh, like us, the resurrection changes everything. And I think these disciples, I think they became real on this day. Uh, for as yet, they know, well, I, okay, so we got some doubt in Thomas going on and stuff. I get all that. But for as yet, they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. So some things going on here, right? That, uh, uh, you know, we get Mary from yesterday. She she runs down to the tomb to worship Christ, I guess, to, to find some comfort. You know, when we go to a grave to visit loved ones, we know our loved ones aren't there. It's just kind of a memorial to them. 
And so when I go home, I'll, I'll go to my mom's grave uh, and, and my stepdad's grave and my dad's grave. I'll, I'll go to, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go to Debbie's folks graves. That's right up there in new London, but we don't go there with hopes of seeing them or communicating with them. Uh, of course they're not God, but we go to that grave in a memorial type of thing, just to, just to love them, to care. And so today we're looking at that empty tomb and what it means. And I think we just covered it right there. Uh, and it says, for as they knew not the scripture, they must rise again from the dead. But it said in verse eight above it, and they saw it and they believed. Then the disciples went uh, away again unto their own home. They went and brother, they're, they're looking at all this. They're trying to, they're, trying, they're processing everything going on, knowing they serve a great God. Yeah. You know, the scripture says, blessed is he that believed uh, having not seen or something yeah. like that. I think right. he's spoken to Thomas, but it's here. It says they, I just now saw, I just saw this as you were reading that they saw and believed in verse eight of chapter 20 in John. So the idea is that the doubters, you know, Peter, he really struggled. He denied the Lord. I mean, he was struggling. He could not wrap his mind around what was going on. And so he was in, I would say disbelief about the whole thing, you know, about the, the the reality and the veracity of Jesus Christ. Kind of like John the Baptist, you know, is, are thou he that should come or look we for another? You know, I think yeah. that, that there was that serious doubt going on because it says they saw and believed, implying that they didn't believe until that time. So, you know, not that they weren't believers, but hey, trauma does that to us, does it not? When we go through something really bad, we are in a dark place. Well, that dark place means we don't know what's up. You know, I was in a meeting last night where there were some hurting people talking, traumatized people, and the one dear lady that was there mentioned in uh, to to the to the gang of people that were in that class that um, what do you do when you're angry at God? Wow. She had been through some real junk, narcissistic yeah. abuse. And, um, so, you know, the reality is that when we go through trauma, there is an element of, and by the way, there was some good comments made to her, some really good comments, biblical comments, comments about faith, and also comments that did not invalidate her doubts. Yeah. We don't need to validate our doubts in, in that they are worth, that they're true, that, that God's not right, but we need to validate that we've got doubts. And they said, you know what? Tell God that you're upset with him. Read the book of Psalms. Someone said, read the book of Psalms. And I said, I looked over and I said, ma'am, my comment is read the book of Job because Job is saying, God, where are you? If only I could see you. If only I had a chance to talk to you. I'd give you a piece of my mind, basically. And then God shows up at the end and says, let me tell you something, Job. Where were you when I thought these things out? Therefore, when I made the world, you weren't here. Where were you when I decided you needed this trauma? And where were you when you, you know, where were you when I was deciding what I wanted to make you after this trauma? And we would always choose the will of God if we only knew it in advance. So we should be the people that say, Lord, I'm going to believe you without having to see it. And when I go through doubts like Peter, when I go through doubts like, you know, evidently John to some degree, uh, when I'm suffering and cannot think straight, my decision maker's broken. By the way, don't make bad decisions during trauma. Don't. Don't do it. But when you come out of the darkness, you will be glad 
if you allow God to show you that your anger against him, number one, it didn't hurt him a bit. Number two, it only hurt you. But number three, God's a big enough God to handle it. And uh, let's go ahead and just vent to God how we feel in our darkness and doubt. And then give God the chance, Say, and someone said this to this individual, give God the chance to prove to you that he really is good. And you'll come out of it saying, you know what, next time I don't think I want to doubt God. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I think some of uh, the greatest things in life come after you admit your weaknesses. Mm. I think when you, you know when you go to a group meeting that's centered around the Bible, it's centered around learning from God on this terrible trauma this woman went through. And none of us are, are ever going to downplay anyone's trauma. We yeah. know. We know how wicked trauma can be. We know how people can be evil themselves. We get that. And, uh, but there's strength, friends. There's strength when you speak up and say, hey, I'm doubting God. Yeah. You know, yep. you, you know how big of a deal that is? I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, mm. that, that, that's the most profound thing of my week right now. Yeah. And, and. And I just want to share that with you, folks. You. Be that person. That's huge. If you if you got a doubt, get together with the right people. Hold some hands. Open up the yeah. Bible and say, you know, I'm doubting this. And then and then you get to hear, you know, Job. Old Job was doubting some things. He was going through some junk. But you know, when Job came out the other end, his friends. I mean, they blasted. It. You know, we we started. Uh, we were talking yesterday about being blasted by people who. You know, extra biblical people. You know, you know, they're, you know, they're the perfect people in this world. You know, mm-hmm. never made a mistake. Uh, and uh, you know, Job, his friends were out there. Those perfect people, and boy, they were slapping him around. But then it came to the point where he, where God says, "Where were you, Job? You know, stop thinking so high of yourself." And I don't think Job was thinking all that high of himself. But I do think this. Remember, Job shaved his head. He put the ashes on. He let the whole world know, I'm in mourning. I need God's help. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the end, he just stopped thinking about himself for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Stopped thinking about his losses, people who hurt him, things said about him. He stopped thinking about that. And he started praying for his friends. He said, you know what, God? I'm praying for these knuckleheads that have been briefing me. I'm praying for these other people. And then God restores everything and said, you're there. You're there. You got the trick. You got the trick. Man, that's some good stuff. And folks, listen, we'll be right back with you. We're going to go ahead and let the radio stations do what they have to do. We'll be right back. Doug will return shortly. Meanwhile, you're hearing this music while radio stations are identifying themselves and broadcasting advertisements. Hey folks, we're back with you here and we're continuing on. So we're in the empty tomb. Let's read those verses again. And he stooping down, me and John looked in and saw the linen clothes lying. Verse number five of chapter 20 of the book of John. Yet went he not in. Then come a Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head, not lying within the linen. It's just left there. 
And, and went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. As I was studying this out and looking at this, and um, honestly, just, just earlier today for a minute or two, a couple things came to my mind. People never messed with bodies in the Jewish tradition. Back then, you don't touch them. You know, they've got to be in the tomb or buried as soon as humanly possible. Uh, they've got to be given up to God. So they knew if that body's not there, it's either foul play or God. And John right away realized it was God. These things he's saying, where he's going, he's coming back to us. And uh, he's going to make a difference in this things going on. So, you know, they get to this tomb. They're looking around. Uh, Mary shows up again in the next section we go to. They're, they're all talking. And, and I'm kind of blown away by the detail of the napkin. I wrote down a couple notes on that. It's, it's mentioned that the napkin are face cloth is what we would call it, right? Uh, that had been placed on Jesus' head was lion, was not lion with the linen clothes, but was folded separately. The detail is significant and has been a subject of discussion among biblical scholars. And, and I'll tell you in the seminary, and we all talked about that, right where his head was, the towel, he took his own towel off and laid it right there. Everything was put in, in these perfect piles. And then the belief of the disciple that comes out of it, folks, our belief is is based on all that's been done in Christianity, all that God has done for us. It's uh, uh, you know, I I think the order and the intentionality that happened in that tomb, you know, the the, the napkin being there in order or that face cloth, everything symbolizes order and intentionality, and that's how God works. Everything's in order. Everything's being done the way it's said it's going to be done. Uh, everything comments, hey, the resurrection, this isn't a chaotic time. This is a very deliberate and orderly one. If you're looking at this resurrection as chaos or being chaotic, I think that's wrong. I think everything's fallen into place here. Here's this face cloth, this napkin, just laid there, folded up just perfectly. And, uh, and, and, and I'm blown away, you know, there's spiritual moments we all have in our life. I can't remember how many times I've been in church or how many times I've been studying scripture or how many times I, I, I've been listening to a sermon or whatever the case may be. And there's that aha moment. There's that moment like, whoa, I just got that. You know, folks, here's the good news. You can be saved for a hundred years if God lives on earth. You're going to have mm -hmm. thousands of those aha moments. Mm -hmm. And man, these guys got it. They just got it. And then I wrote down in my notes that they went home to process all this. They, they went home. Certainly they're looking at scripture. Uh, they know the prophecies. They're going back and thinking through what Jesus had promised, all those things are going on. And, and Kevin, that, you know, that's a reaction when you have those aha moments, when things show up, when the empty tubes there, empty tomb, uh, you have these moments and uh, they're life changing. They are. They are. It's, it's amazing when they looked in the tomb and had that aha moment, they, um, they recorded, John recorded what exactly he saw. And uh, he, he saw, number one, the linen clothes lying. And number two, the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. So 
There's two things that come to my mind. Number one is there was a period of time about 40 years ago of uh, where it was big in the news. It was a fad in, in Christian circles, particularly Roman Catholic circles, the Shroud of Turin. Yeah. And the Shroud of Turin was supposedly something that they could take, oh, some kind of biometric, I don't know what they did, but they somehow looked at it and they said, well, this is what we see in the in the image of what the body was inside of it. Uh, that this was a burial cloth, it was a burial shroud, and it, I don't doubt that it was, and that there was an image that was left by the body of the person there. The question is, whereas it was said, this is Jesus Christ, and it's a relic, and therefore needs to be about worshipped, that um, the, the question is, was it true? And biblically, the answer is no, because his head was wrapped in a napkin and the rest of the body in a separate thing. It talks about linen clothes, plural so the napkin was severed so so it wasn't a shroud that covered the face all right there was a napkin uh that's all that the bible says and you can say well it could be this hey i'm just not going to try to fit the bible into some find some religious artifact find all right i'm going to just kind of take the bible first in its literal sense and not try to force another sense otherwise we'll get nonsense in our faith but number two not only was there separation of the grave clothes of the head part from the rest of it, and number uh, secondly, there's the uh, the the custom here. So why does it say the napkin that was about the head was not lying? So it was separate, and um, so there was a cloth, you know, kind of a larger thing, maybe a tablecloth size thing that covered his body, that that was there, and then the napkin was was taken. Why does it say napkin and, and all that kind of thing? And the best I can tell, the research I've done, I've heard uh, certainly a lot of preaching on it over the years, that um, the Eastern custom was that the napkin, uh, if, if, let me back up. You ever eat at a Chinese restaurant or an Oriental restaurant, all right? One of these nice, the finer places especially, the ones where they really have some genuine culture about them. I remember eating Doug years ago at a Chinese restaurant in, um, that's what we used to call them, Chinese. Now they're, you know, maybe Oriental restaurant. But it was up in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. It was in the old White Whale restaurant. It had the bow of a ship sticking out the front. And it, it had gone under, and the new business was Oriental. So I took my wife there. This is probably about 1986. And uh, we were given a table, and the server that served us, a nice young Chinese man, actually middle-aged Chinese man, um, he sat at the table opposite, adjacent us, across the aisle, and, and watched us, not to watch us eating, but to watch our needs and he took cues and signals from us. And one of the cues was, are we going to come back after this trip to the buffet? And um, what he was watching, it, it was, among other things, our napkin. And it, so in the Oriental custom, I'm told that when you're done, and it makes sense, you know, you have the napkin kind of in front of you to come back to. You'd say also you're in a buffet situation, you're, you leave your fork there. You know, you don't send the fork back with the used plate. You're keeping it. That in indicates you're going to come back. But if you disappear to go to the bathroom, go to the buffet or whatever, out to the car to get something, whatever, it, what he was watching was if the napkin was kind of wound up or crumpled up, set aside, 
like you weren't going to use it anymore, that was an indicator, hello, that you weren't you were done. And when Jesus Christ left the sepulcher, <laughs> he took what was over his face and said, Okay, won't be needing this anymore. Wrapped it up, set it aside in a separate place, saying, I won't be back. Hey, everybody, I won't be back. He died once. Christ dying once dieth no more. And Jesus Christ, and I've heard it, someone else incorrectly preached it and said it meant he was coming back. Read your customs, all right? It meant he was done. His tomb experience was over. He's not a coming back to the tomb. Of course, he's coming back to the earth. But anyway, I just wanted to say that there's a custom at work here. That's why God let us know that. You know, when I was in the Army, I had to learn all the customs and courtesies, dinners, suppers, and all that. And you're, You actually uh, lay the napkin on your chair if you're coming back. And uh, that's just the way you do it. Even if you're at a dinner party or something like that, you put the napkin, but just like Kevin's saying, you lay it on your chair, and then when you're ready to discard it, you roll it up and put it next to your plate, and they come and grab everything. Yeah. Right on. Folks, we love you. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be back with you tomorrow talking about grief and sorrow. Thank you for listening to our broadcast. At Help for Wounded Spirits, we believe the Bible and place great importance on you having a personal relationship with your Lord and Savior. The Bible delivers a clear and simple message of salvation, outlining how you can begin your personal relationship now. First, recognize that you are a sinner, as all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Second, understand that there is a cost to our sin, as the wages of sin is death. Third, realize that Jesus alone paid that price. To receive salvation, simply ask the Lord to save you in Jesus' name while believing in your heart that He alone can save you, and He will. If we can help you with your salvation or to direct you to a local church, please do not hesitate to contact us. For additional helpful resources, including our new TV series, more information, or to donate and support this crucial ministry, please visit us at WoundedSpirits.com. May God bless you.